This is the Huddle.com LifeCast. We're talking to inspired and insightful people who have faced life's greatest challenges and broken through. Welcome, everyone, to the Huddle.com Livecast. I'm your host, Mark Stolo. I'm joined today by Danusha Lipinski. Danusha is a personal and professional coach, and she's also a Huddle pro. Danusha, welcome to the Huddle Livecast. Thank you for having me. Danusha, we're going to talk about relationships today. I think that there's one of the side effects, the unfortunate side effects of the pandemic has been people who find themselves experiencing potentially more relationship strain. Although I have spoken to some people who have talked about how the closeness has helped nurture more depth and positive feelings in their relationship. I also know that there are a lot of people out there because they're feeling isolated, because they're feeling more confined, they may have kids, their kids may be feeling more agitated. Um, You know, everyone's kind of like feels a little stuck at home this could have a really meaningful impact on relationships and not always in a positive way. So I want us to dive into this space and try to leave mm-hmm. people with some ideas and some ways um, of, of navigating this temporary normal so that they can come mm-hmm. out on the other side and not feel like, oh, I may have just lost something or there's something that I, maybe I can't get back or there's something I said that I wish I hadn't. So... What are some of the stressors, particularly in, in this kind of current world, that you think are affecting relationships right now? Well, like you mentioned earlier, definitely COVID-19 um, can really bring families together and bring out some beautiful gifts to relationships. But at the same time, many people are struggling with stressors that are affecting their relationships. And it can start off just with the pandemic itself. It can really shake our core and and shake our sense of control, our security, our safety, stability, feeling of knowing what to do. As as we all know, people have lost lives, jobs, revenue, and people don't even know how to to provide for their family's well-being. So it can be very stressful for many, many people. Not to mention all the forced time that we're asked to spend together or apart. So people who are living alone, they may be really struggling with isolation, not having the support that they're used to, or the social contact. Whereas other people who are not used to spending so much time together may be exposed to more increased caregiving, uh, abusive behaviors, arguments, children, and other people who are melting down with their stress. And then, of course, there's the lack of time and space that is no longer available. And finally, it's just the stressor of loss. Some people have lost loved ones from death. Some people are dealing with breakups. And then there's also the stress of not being able to care for family members or partners, friends who may be sick that you cannot tend to. Mm-hmm. So those are just some of those stressors. Do you think that... Um... Do you think that the stressors that 
people are experiencing in their relationships are kind of latent stressors that are being magnified? Or do you think COVID actually brings a whole new set of stressors? I think COVID, both. Mm-hmm. Both. So some people, uh, you know, you, you don't want to deal with stressors that have been always around. And now certain feelings that you might have experienced before are now magnified. Mm-hmm. And now you have no chance, other chance, but to look at them mm-hmm. every day. Your partner's bringing out these feelings, these negative feelings in you or um, other issues that you haven't dealt with. Mm-hmm. And then there are other stressors that are just thrown at you that you're not used to at all, especially if you've lost a job and had 30 years of security. Right. It's very right. new. I had a therapist once who just, who used to talk about relationships like the ship that sails into the room. <laughs> <laughs> I love that that fun play on words. And like when yeah. things go bad in a relationship, there's a sense that like this big behemoth has sailed into your life and you feel like right. you're constantly butting up against it. Right. What do you say to people? I mean, you know, a relationship, we sometimes think of a relationship as its own thing, right? It's like there's this right. relationship and then there's me and then there's you. When I kind of think of it as, well, there's you and and then there's the other person and Yes, by by definition, as an extension of that, there's a relationship, but the relationship doesn't exist in its own regard. What do you, you know, what can people do at a, even at an individual level to, you know, try to like make sure their relationships are staying whole or, you know, alternatively, if their relationship needs to evolve to maybe a different kind of relationship or maybe it needs to end or transition, what do you suggest to individuals in terms of how to start addressing their concerns about a relationship right well you know sometimes i see relationships as a bicycle and when one of the bicycle tires is deflated then it's very hard for the bike to move forward and similarly in a relationship when one person is feeling stressed out or both people are feeling stressed out it's the relationship doesn't go very far at least not significantly. So my belief is that to tend to that bicycle, it's, I feel it's important to start looking at your own bike tire first. In other words, look at yourself first and what can you do to address your own stress first? Very often in relationships, we have this human tendency when we're stressed out to try to fix the other person who we're involved with, or blame the other person for having our own problems. It would be nice if people could meet all our physical and emotional needs, but does that happen, Mark? Not not always, right? Mm -hmm. So ideally, um, it's it's important to tend to yourself. If you recognize making statements such as, oh, this person is making me feel so bad or causes me to feel so bad, you may be setting yourself up to suffer more. And um, it's nice to get the comfort and you may have comfort in your life who, from people who are there. But ultimately, if people are not meeting your needs, your partners, your family members, your friends, you may look at yourself and say, hey, I need to pull up my sleeves and repair my own bike first, my mm-hmm. own bike tire first. And that's hard for many people, right, to do that work. Yeah, I but think, it is doable. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that this is where the concept of the relationship not being its own entity, you can't deflect onto the relationship, right? Because the relationship is mm-hmm. purely 
at some level, it's purely symbolic, right? It, it's it's right. like I say to someone, point to me and show me the relationship. They're going to point to two people. The two right. people are the real entities in this dynamic. So to your point, a great place to start is how am I feeling? What am I bringing to the table? What am I maybe not bringing to the table? You know, understanding kind of the internal matrix of what's going on inside of you and making sure that, you know, you're not, contributing in a way that might be also causing some of this tension and conflict. Whereas to your point, some people are just the tendency is to initially deflect all of that tension onto someone else. I I think something that, you know, comes up a lot in relationships are like feelings that are uncomfortable, right? So feelings that you're not proud of, like feeling resentful or feeling jealous, um, or maybe you get really angry. And those Mm -hmm. oftentimes are like no one, I know very few people who go through those types of emotional experiences who think, wow, that's lovely. (laughs) That that resentment feels great. You you don't often get that. Um, Are these things that you should talk about in a relationship? Should you tell your, your significant other that you resent them or you're feeling jealous? Well, you know, I do, to your point, I do think it is important to, first of all, identify those feelings whatever negative feeling you may be experiencing, because many people run away from those feelings and they're like, no, no, everything's fine. It's not. So call it what it is. And yes, I do believe that um, it's important to express all emotions because they're all human and they're all valid. And if anything, we're supporting others if we're honest with ourselves because they're watching us and they're they're looking to us and see, hey, if you're so honest with yourself and so vulnerable, and real, then it gives me a chance to do the same and be brave and talk about how I may be feeling. Mm-hmm. So, what about giving someone else think- permission to share their feelings? I think you see this sometimes in relationships, depending on the two people, but sometimes there's what would be called maybe is an imbalance in the expression of feelings. So one person might be very expressive, the other person might be very withdrawn. And again, every dynamic relationship dynamic is different. Some relationships, there's very little emotional sharing going on. I would imagine in those relationships where one person is very expressive and the other person is less expressive, that can cause a certain amount of tension. How, how do you as a partner support your, your partner in expressing their feelings? Well, first of all, uh, it's it's like you said, not everybody is ex- as expressive and we may feel frustrated with the people in our lives and say, well, I'm, a, I'm sharing with you, please share with me. But not everybody is capable to share emotions. First of all, it takes a lot of self-awareness to be feelings that we may be feeling. So we can encourage the people we love by giving them the space and letting them know that we're here for them and we're ready to listen to them whenever they are. We can also um, just share our observations with them. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, as an example of that... Which- Again, may or may not be true, so don't make assumptions of how people may be feeling. Right. Let them tell you, but you can say, you know, I've I've noticed that um, you've been. Is that is that how you feel? So again, not saying I you're doing this or that, 
rather, this is what I'm noticing. Can you tell me if you feel the same way? Right. Or what could that be about? So those are some ways. And it's important when you do know what you feel. Uh, I didn't mention it earlier, but to share it with the people around you. Because people don't necessarily understand what your behaviors are about, mm -hmm. especially children. They don't really know why you may be responding the way you are or behaving the way you are. And they may personalize and think it's their fault. So it's good to talk about it. Yeah, I, I love what you said about um, owning your feelings. I think this is probably one of the most challenging areas for people. Because the tendency is to get it, right. particularly in relationships, is to get into a dynamic where, well, you did this to me and you did that to me and you made me feel this way. And the idea is that this person is, I mean, you're, you're essentially putting this person in charge of everything that's going on in your life. And what that tends right. to also breed right. is quite a bit of defensiveness because the person is like, you know, that you're, you're a, back to this idea of blame. You're essentially blaming them for how you feel. Um the the power in telling someone and owning how you're feeling is one, it gives you the power to do something about it. And it creates space in the relationship mm -hmm. for each individual to become more present and conscious of their own feelings. Now, it's very possible that someone said right. something to you or did something that triggered you, but it is only the trigger. Mm -hmm. You know, it's only waking up something that is already sleeping inside of you. So you have to be able to own it at a level, right? We only react to the things that kind of already exist in our experience. Um, and so by definition, it's something that is embedded in your experience. So you can definitely own it, so to speak. And you can own it by using statements such as, I feel this way, or I see it this way, or I believe it's this way, uh, which which may or may not be true. Mm -hmm. And you always can get clarifications. How do you see it? Right. What's your opinion? Right. And that opens conversation and dialogue and makes people feel less defensive and more open to communicating and expressing themselves with you. Let's talk about triggers a little bit because we've brought this up. And, and obviously in relationships, there are some of those triggers and sometimes those triggers become bigger over time and people are more easily triggered. The big ones are things like money and sex and those are often very common in relationships, but there's a whole pantheon of triggers out there different depending on the relationship and the people involved. Are there different kinds of triggers, uh, like uh, different yeah. things that will trigger you in a relationship? Sure. Um, so you have the external triggers, which are some of the COVID stressors I mentioned earlier. That's something that happens from the external world and you can't control it many times. It just happens. Like you said, the shit that comes into your room. Right. But then you have internal triggers. And if you can identify those, you gain a lot of power because they may be nagging thoughts, your beliefs, assumptions you may, may be making about people or situations. So the benefit of really identifying your triggers is that you kind of see what's responsible for your negative feelings. So that's an empowerment for yourself. And when you're able to identify them, you can move them away from yourself. So step aside and observe from a distance what they're all about, which can allow you to gain valuable insight about how to deal with them. And you can even be a little bit more objective mm -hmm. and ask 
people to share some information with you of how they see it. Right. Is there a way to help your partner identify their stress triggers? Right. So again, uh, just like with feelings, it's uh, probably better not to assume what triggers uh, stress people out. Uh, but you can definitely ask them and say, hey, what do you think triggers you? And what have you noticed? Or this is what I've noticed. Tell me what you think. I noticed that when you talk to this person, you get really shy. Or um, when you are with the kids, you're, you seem to be angry a lot. Is that how you feel? So always getting clarification. Mm-hmm. And they might get defensive. No, 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 I'm not. Okay, great. Right. I just right. need to share that with you. Right. Come back to me and tell me what you have observed. I'm I'm always here to listen. Right. I mean, I've pers- communication open. I found that where people are most defensive is typically where you've you know where that sore spot is. But to your point, it doesn't always mean you have to keep pushing at it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's usually an indicator that something somebody is you know there's an insecurity there, a fear there, some kind of something is bundled up there, kind of like knotted, right. um, which mm-hmm. is why they feel like they need to defend it. Because typically the things we're very at ease with, we don't need to defend. We tend to defend right. those things that we're not, we haven't fully processed, um, or, right. or we feel defensive about. Like we have to defend them literally. Right. Um, so so what happens a- after the process of becoming aware of these stress? triggers um like what's kind of the next stage of that so okay i'm i'm aware that x y and z is triggering me whether it's an external event or an internal event what can i do about that well uh just like a bike tire that you want to prepare to face the elements you can prepare yourselves with your stressors by really looking at rehearsing new responses to the triggers and also putting into practice some positive coping strategies that work for you. So they're unique to you. And um, well, let's see, we can talk about one of the responses that's very effective. And that is to, I don't know if you, maybe the listeners don't know, but it's to calm your amygdala down and keep it calm in yourself and with others. Tell people what, what is the amygdala? Uh, the amygdala. So amygdala is a sack of neurons set in the middle of your brain, and it re- really responds to your fear. It's there to keep you safe. So let's say you don't jump in front of a moving truck. But when the amygdala is stressed out, then it switches back like a light switch and activates your reptilian brain, as they call it, which is the first brain in our human evolution. And when we're there in that reptilian brain, using that reptilian brain, we respond with the fight, flight, freeze response. And in this world, that means we get more defensive or argumentative, or we panic and and we freeze up. We become paralyzed with fear, or we unconsciously run away from our problems and our feelings and deny that we even have anything. So when our amygdala is calm, we have the ability to switch to our calm brain, which is in our prefrontal cortex area. So the frontal lobe area, you could say. And here we feel great. We feel in control of our emotions. We feel grounded. We know what we're talking about. We feel rational. We make good decisions. And we have the ability to think outside of the box for creative solutions. 
So it's a really good place to be if you can keep that amygdala calm. And so some of the ways that we can calm our amygdala is very simple. It's just a tool you can pull out of your pocket at any time of the day, and that is deep breathing. Hmm. So what about deep breathing, right? What's so special about it? Well, if we allow ourselves to breathe deeply, especially from our diaphragms, which is right below our rib cage, we can pump oxygen right away into our brains. So let's say the blood is in your reptilian brain. It will rush, that oxygen will push that blood to your prefrontal cortex area, and you'll be able to make some good decisions and respond more effectively to your stressors. So you can use deep breathing. Let's say if facing a stressor, you know you're going to face a stressor. Like, for example, you're coming home and you know it's a full house. The house is in chaos. Do a couple of, take some deep breaths and you will calm your amygdala and be more effective in responding to the situation to your family members. The amygdala, calming the amygdala with deep breathing will also allow you to activate the parasympathetic system, which is responsible for resting and digesting. So really, really good tool to have. Mm -hmm. Another way you can use deep breathing is to use mindful breathing. And it's a form of breathing that can help you to overcome overwhelming thoughts of worry and fear. So how you do it is that you breathe consciously, putting your focus on your inhales and exhales and using counting. So we can do it together. If I ask you to breathe in for three, so one, two, three, hold your breath for three, one, two, three, exhale for three, one, two, three, and hold your exhale for three, one, two, three. So the reason it's called mindful breathing is you're really focusing on that inhale and exhale. You're able to get out of your head when you do the mindful breathing because you're focusing on the counting and enter the present moment, which another way of calling the present moment is the here and now. And for many people, this is where you can find the experience of real peace. Mm -hmm. you, so, yeah. You mentioned also, I mean, if the 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 concept of mindful breathing and, and just be, I think honestly, just being aware and understanding that your brain has a kind of predisposition to be in this fight or flight mode. I think that's a very yeah. important thing to become aware of because we take it for granted that our brains are always doing everything that's perfectly in our, you know, in our absolute best interest all the time. And mm -hmm. it's all, it's in many ways, it's hardwired to, you know, it was, it was hardwired for certain things that sometimes are not well adapted to a modern context. Right. So right. not everything needs a 100% fear response, but your brain might be predisposed to respond very intensively to something that's relatively minor like for example right. you know your boss says something to you that's a little bit awkward and you're just your amygdala your uh, amygdala just goes amygdala. yeah amygdala just goes off the the scales right, right. it just like starts right. and you start spiraling is there are there things that that people can do within their relationships like let's say they're dealing with a trigger f with their partner are there things give some examples of things they could do if they're ever feeling like 
starting to become stressed or agitated in a, mm-hmm. in a relationship context? So first of all, going back, be aware of your triggers. So maybe it's a certain look, you know, for, for me, it's when my kids roll their eyes and they're very unconscious of it, but that just triggers me and I'm stressed out and I'm very aware of it. So when they do that, I just smile and go, oh, there's my trigger. And so my, my amygdala at that point calms itself down because just by being aware of that. But let's say, you know, you're having a discussion and no matter how much you're aware of your trigger, you're triggered and you're really triggered badly. One way that you can help yourself is not only with the deep breathing, but sometimes that's just not enough, right? You're still feeling triggered and ready to punch somebody out. So in that case, uh, there are many other things you can do, like taking a walk, saying, I just need some time. Please don't talk to me because I'll bite your head off. (laughs) And we do that, right? When our amygdala is stressed out, we do respond with a fight, flight, freeze. So we often say things we regret. Mm -hmm. And that we are like, wow, that's just not me. So do yourself a favor. You want to show the people in your life that you can be good communicators and responders. Take the time you need. Like, be aware. I'm triggered. I need to move right away. I need to go out. If your apartment is small, take a walk, put some headphones on, whatever it takes to calm yourself down, calm that amygdala down. Um, Another way to, to really calm your amygdala down is to be aware of the stories you tell yourself. So many times when we're overwhelmed with fear, we are creating stories of the future that aren't necessarily true. They're just stories that trigger our amygdala. And the reason it triggers our amygdala is because our amygdala doesn't know if your so-called worry story is real or not. It will respond as if it's happening already in the present, flooding you with all kinds of stressful hormones. So ask yourself, catch yourself saying, is this true what I'm telling myself? This worry, is it actually happening or is this just something I'm imagining? Mm-hmm. Bring yourself back to the present and say, okay, this is the reality and this is what could happen. Do you see this challenge in relationships of people feeling like they need to be right? And why is this, why is that such a huge mousetrap? Uh, I think that I see yeah. this often. I mean, I think I see, right. you see this anytime people have conflict or they're, in an argument of sorts, Um, but obviously in relationships, it's something that you see more often. Why is wanting to be right in a relationship such an emotional pitfall? Well, because if you feel right, you potentially feel more in control. You feel like, okay, I've got this. I know what's going on. Whereas somebody challenging you and making you think that perhaps you're not right opens Pandora's box. It makes you question everything. And that brings up a lot of fear. Well, if I'm not right, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. That I'm wrong? Wrong is is pain. It inflicts pain. And nobody likes pain. Right. Right. Well, we run away from pain. So that's one way of looking at it. I think it's also something to consider is that Feelings are not right or wrong. We can't moralize feelings, right? You're right. 
you're feeling what you're feeling. We can say that if I said to you, well, the sun doesn't rise every day, you could say I'm wrong, but we're talking built on, you know, scientifically, you know, observable realities. So there's a certain rightness and wrongness to those statements. Um, uh, Feelings don't play well in the sandbox of facts. Right. So, yeah. Um, You know, sometimes we're, we feel really controlled and we live by certain perceptions, certain a certain worldview of how things are and should be. Mm. And we like to put things into categories. It makes sense for us and it makes us feel safe. And that can get us into a lot of trouble and stop us from living really good lives and improving our relationships because we feel like we figured it all out and this is how it is and, and you're bad and I'm good and you're right, I'm right, you're wrong. Uh, discussion closed. So one way that we can move forward in our relationships, improve our relationships, improve our lives is to evaluate and change our perceptions of people and situations. So for example, when you label a situation or a person as bad, just that word bad or right or wrong, it may, like I mentioned earlier, induce a a feeling of fear and that may close you up or make you feel defensive or make somebody else feel defensive or closed up. So what you can do instead is be mindful not to state your opinions as facts. Okay. And that takes practice. You can try separating what's real and what may be just a perception of yours. And then you can catch yourself making judgmental words, using judgmental words such as you should do this, or this is better, or this is important. Because these words describe your own worldview that you don't necessarily want to impose on others. You want people to open up to you and share their perception. And just like owning your feelings, you can own your perceptions by choosing to make statements such as, this is what I believe, this is what I feel, or it is my opinion. And then you can be open to hear other people's worldview, their opinions, their beliefs and feelings. Mm-hmm. What are some final takeaways for people, given everything that's gone on, that's going on with COVID? Um, what are some big takeaways, given that people are feeling kind of like everything under a magnifying glass right now? Like, what are some things that you recommend to people in how to navigate, particularly right here and now? so that they can try to maintain a level of, you know, a feeling of safety, diffusing some of the tension, maybe like a last takeaway for our listeners. Okay. Well, there's anything that uh, the listeners can take away from this, please. It would be compassion, Um, self-compassion, especially, because again, I really believe, I believe (laughs) It's important to look at ourselves first. In stressful times like these, I feel like we're already so depleted of energy and motivation. And in many cases, we do more harm to our mental health and those we love by beating up on ourselves, putting all these expectations on ourselves and others to feel, to be, to do more. And so uh, maybe... You know, consider just letting go of anything that doesn't serve your best, controlling 
you know, things that you don't have to control today. You know you can let them go. Any of those shoulds that you keep hearing yourself saying or the have tos. Instead, make some time for your, some self-care, even five minutes. Expend, <laughs> extend that time in the bathroom. Say, sorry, I'm still in the bathroom. Five more minutes. Anything it takes to right. give yourself self-care. Right, yeah. Be kind to yourselves. Be patient and understanding of your stressful feelings and current, current circumstances and those that you deal with, your family members. They're mm -hmm. also stressing you. And um, by having more compassion of your, for yourself, you will naturally have more empathy for those who are also struggling around you. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people are comparing themselves with others. Well, they seem to handle it better than us. No, drop the comparisons and the guilt, which is always the killer of pleasure and motivation. Mm -hmm. Just accept yourself and what you can and can't do right now. Yeah. Love that. Thank you, Danusha. Guess what time it is? Life cast questionnaire time. <laughs> I need like a drum roll or something. I need like one of those radio gongs. We'll work on that next. Tell me, Danusha, what's, what's your favorite quality in a person? I think integrity. Mm. So um, somebody who's uh, has enough courage to be truthful with themselves and with the world. I'm Love still it. working on it myself, but it's 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 a hard one, and I really admire it in others. It is. It's a process for sure. It's a process. Yes. Is there is there a mantra or an idea that guides your life, or something that makes you feel grounded? Ah, uh, a mantra that well, just to be grateful for the present moment and to do anything I can to be in that present moment. Mm -hmm. Is there a person, one person in particular, that's influenced how you see the world? I think Nelson Mandela. I really, just because he's gone through so many struggles and speaking about stress, right? I mean, he was in jail for so long and he had his own journey. And he could have gone one way or the other. I remember reading his autobiography and how he struggled looking at his life and seeing everyday people dying around him and thinking, oh my God, this is my life and I'm probably going to die here too. And then turning his whole life around by asking himself just one question. And that one question completely took him into a different direction. And the question he asked himself was, what's the point of this? Mm -hmm. And he just went from there and started asking himself more questions. Maybe there's something to learn from this. And if there is, please tell me, what could it be? So that really inspires me when I'm in situations that are very difficult myself. And I encourage listeners here too, when you're in a situation where you just don't feel like moving forward, just asking yourself, is there a point to this? And what could it be? What could I be learning from this? Mm -hmm. How do I benefit from this? Is this perhaps a blessing in disguise that I don't even see? Right. And getting curious. Absolutely. Is there one area of your life where you are doing some of your own focus growth work, one in particular? Well, I think just parenting. <laughs> it's a big one. That's a big one. Uh, it's a big one, right? Because um, 
it, I have to face with all my own gremlins, as I call them. And just when I think that I'm all grounded and such a good mom and so caring, it just all blows up in my face. And I realize I have so much more to learn. And uh, especially self-love and what I talked about at the end, self-compassion, that I'm just human. And I have all kinds of emotions, from really wonderful emotions to really nasty emotions. And it's all part of life, getting over them and... And every time you get over them, you, you feel like you've you've gained some new insight. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's it's a wonderful journey. Yeah, it's warbly. I think we we like to think of every growth process as like this straight line that just keeps pointing upwards, but right, oftentimes right. it's very just warbly, right? Yes, it is. Yeah, that's a good. Point. If uh, if not you, if I gave you like a day to see the world through something or someone else's perspective, who or what would you want to be for that one day? Hmm. I think, I think I would be curious to step in the shoes of somebody who is um, completely dependent on other people Hmm. because I'm a very independent person. And I really enjoy my independence. So I can't imagine being in the shoes of somebody who's completely dependent on others for everything. So people who are perhaps, uh, you know, dealing with some severe handicaps. Mm -hmm. I always, yeah, it always made me think about how do they get through their days and have a smile on their face? And what are they thinking? What are they feeling? And how do they accept where they are and their circumstances. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's why it's so important that, you know, from an empathy perspective that we check in, um, it is in your example, people dealing with a disability or, you know, who are struggling with the lack of autonomy. You can certainly, it's a great place to ask them how they're experiencing the world. If you could have any superpower, what would it be? Huh? Hmm. Well, I think more intuition, better intuition. So having, being more in tune with my gut and knowing what's going on in every situation would be really great. <laughs> Don't be greedy, Danusha. I am, I am. I'm having those emotions of greed. There well, you go. look, I asked you for a superpower and, you know, being mm-hmm. in tune and aware all the time would be a massive one. Yes, would be great. Uh, thank you, Danusha, for everything that you do and all that you are. And um, I think you left us with a lot of opportunities to like tune in to our own experience. So you were super heroic today with us. Thank you for that. You. you can stay connected and keep learning with Danusha in the Huddle community. And you can join us at huddle.com. Her handle on Huddle is at Danusha. That's spelled D-A-N-U-S-I-A. For those that are new to Huddle, Huddle is a place to meet amazing people who are sharing wisdom finding support, and becoming the best versions of themselves. This has been the Huddle.com Lifecast. I want to thank you for tuning in, and thank you for turning on to your lives. 